Hello, my name is Liaket Mead and here I am with another exciting podcast. What I'm going to talk about is an unusual set of circumstances. LGPS accounting and audit issues. Still unsure? Let me ask you a question. My trust actually provides a net surplus LGPS valuation. Should this surplus be included on the balance sheet of the trust? You will be thinking, excuse me, a net surplus? Yes. And this is basically for the first time we are seeing LGPS assets instead of liabilities. And because of this, accountant and especially the auditors have got very excited because we have only previously had LGPS liabilities. So coming back to my question, that my trust actually provides a net surplus LGPS valuation. Should this surplus be included on the balance sheet of the trust? You possibly can have four options, which I can think of. Number one, yes, the full surplus should be recognized as whilst FRS 102 valuations are not used to calculate contribution rates, trusts are entitled to reduce contributions in a surplus scenario. Second, no, the balance sheet should be nil as the trust has no means of recovering the surplus. Third one, yes, but not necessarily the full amount. And you might have a fourth one, you say, I don't know. Possible right answer in this scenario would be yes, but not necessarily the full amount. We are still waiting for guidance to be published for public sector accounts preparer and auditors on the recognition of LGPS assets. What I'm going to do is I will run through the issue and the technical requirements in order to understand the issues in this area, but with the caveat that when you will listen to this podcast, uh, additional guidance may well be published, so you need to take that into account. So there are three most important questions to consider. And these are, can we recover the surplus through refunds? Can we recover the surplus through reduced contributions? And is there a minimum funding requirement? First, we will acknowledge that an academy trust reports under FRS 102, i.e. paragraph 22 of section 28 of FRS 102. Now, that is obvious, but something that is relevant in defining whether and if so, how much a share of surplus is included in the accounts. FRS 102, remember, is a simplified version of IFRS, IES 19, in this case of pension accounting. This means that sometimes it says something, but it does not offer much in the way of detail or application guidance. We see this in this area of surplus recognition insofar as FRS 102 says, and if I paraphrase from FRS 102, it says, if the present value of the defined benefit obligation at the reporting date is less than the fair value of plan assets at that date, the plan has a surplus. An entity shall recognize a plan surplus as defined benefit plan asset only to the extent that it is able to recover the surplus either through reduced contributions in the future or through refunds from the plan. Whilst this does not give us much to go on, it does raise the first two of those three important questions to deal with here. And those two out of three are, can we recover the surplus through refunds? 
and can we recover the surplus through reduced contributions? We will come back to these, but let's think, what do we do when FRS 102 does not give us an answer? In a scenario, in any case, what do we do if FRS 102 does not give us an answer? And we need to look into section 10, subsection, uh, subparagraph 4 and 6. And it says, if an FRS does not specifically address a transaction, other event or condition, an entity's management shall use its judgment in developing and applying an accounting policy in making the judgment. Management may also consider the requirements and guidance in adopted IFRS dealing with the similar and related issues, which when we start to look for specifics on whether a surplus is regarded as recoverable is where IFRIC 14, IAS 19, the limit on a defined benefit asset, minimum funding requirements and their interaction comes in useful. We need to be a bit careful with IFRIC 14 as the requirements of IFRIC 14 concerning the recognition of additional liabilities for the effect of minimum funding requirements do not apply to entities applying FRS 102. However, the requirements of IFRIC 14 may be useful guidance for those entities applying FRS 102 in relation to whether a surplus should be regarded as recoverable, which is the main concern here. Now, IFRIC 14, in defining how to account for a surplus, asks a third important question. And the third important question is, that is there a minimum funding requirement? IFRIC 14 also sets options in terms where we could end up with surplus calculation restrictions this year, but we won't go into details at this stage. Now, in terms of three questions, if we just elaborate on those and revisit those three questions, number one, is there a minimum funding requirement? This is still a key judgment that is still under hot debate as it is a matter of interpretation of local government pension scheme regulations and adjustment certificate wording that specifies both the primary and secondary employer's rate of contributions. Second question, can we recover the surplus through refunds? A bit more straightforward, I would say, insofar as that refunds to the employers are not thought to be permitted under local government schemes. And the final third question, can we recover the surplus through the reduced contributions? Now, whilst there are complexities relating to the basis of assumptions used for the accounting valuation, versus those used for a funding valuation. And it is appropriate to state that a surplus in one does not mean there will be a surplus in the other. The, prem the premise of IFRIC 14's calculation is set so as to counter elements the assumption, variance, and limit the asset that which is recoverable. Whether a surplus in the scheme would give rise to a reduction in the contribution is a matter of fact. So just to summarize this accounting bit, key here is that you must read a copy of the terms and conditions of the plan. 
mostly what we found from our experience, don't even bother obtaining this, despite it being absolutely fundamental to the scheme. Most entities affected by this are reporting under FRS 102. So really going towards IFRS uh, 19 is not the first option. How much they are able to recover the surplus through reduced contributions in future or through refunds from the plan. So two options there. Now, if we look into the each of those, refunds are very rare in any scheme. So that is not likely to be relevant, but the whole basis for most schemes is the surplus is used to lower contributions in future. That's the whole point of the calculations. So in most cases, it would be possible to recover the asset and it should be recognized. There may occasionally be limits on what can be recovered, which is where the reference to the extent to which comes in. And this is where some people start to look into the IFRSs. But to be honest, it's really unusual to see this limited. They just don't really come into play in most government schemes as the way schemes work is that surpluses and deficits just become an input into the calculation of contributions that are due in the future period. So in my opinion, the reduced contributions will be the most common way to recover surplus assets. Disclosures in the accounts. We can't just uh, ignore the disclosures. The judgments, which has been used in these calculations in the context of a trust showing a surplus on valuations are likely amount to uh, significant judgments rather than necessarily key sources of estimation uncertainty at the end of the reporting period that have a significant risk of causing a material adjustment to the carrying amount of the net asset or liability recognized in the statement of financial position. However, there will also be estimates that fall into the latter category as part of the calculation of underlying component parts of LGPS assets, liabilities, and asset ceiling calculations. Where a ceiling is applied, the financial statements should be clear that this is the case from narrative and notes disclosures. Now, if you look into the Academy's accounting directions 2022 and 2023, and the model accounts note that the net asset position is presented in the same place on the balance sheet as a liability would be. So that is the disclosures. As far as auditing these LGPS schemes, uh, this will be ISA-driven audit approach. Practice note 15 revised. This practice note contains guidance on the application of auditing standards issued by the Financial Reporting Council to the statutory audit of trust-based occupational pension schemes established under the Pension Acts in the United Kingdom. So you need to look into the practice note 15 revised tailored approach for when you're auditing LGPS. Now, there could be said to be Three tiers of approaches taken to auditing LGPS amounts and disclosure as they appear in the Academy Trust accounts. Now, take the actuarial assumptions, for example. Some firms may perform work themselves, but also pro procure an auditor's expert to provide an independent appraisal of actuarial assumptions. And that would be a gold standard approach, where obviously done properly. Now, 
So what would be one step down, i.e. a silver standard approach? A silver standard may involve internal benchmarking across a suitably sized portfolio, a review to external sources, and a review of the basis for the assumptions provided by the actuary. So that would be one step below from gold and will be classified as silver standard. One step below silver would be bronze, obviously, which may be a review of the basis for the assumptions obtained by the actuary. On top of that, the, the, the three-tier approach, we are seeing, however, in the area of auditing defined benefit pension scheme assets and liabilities, clear symptoms of a trickle down of the FRC large corporate monitoring approach. Having passed through the monitoring approach, taken to the major local public audits and made its way into the monitoring approach, now implemented by the recognized supervisory bodies. What this does is this increases the expectation on auditors and clients, but also will lead to implicit problems that arise when you audit numbers that will never be right, no matter how much money you throw at them. As such, firms are left to weigh up their risk appetite. Do they offer silver or bronze standard auditing in these areas and risk regulatory wrath, or do they push on the cost of auditing to a gold or platinum, in some cases, standard to the Academy Trust? Remember, whilst we are talking about pensions, here, a similar conundrum exists with the audit of the school premises. Okay, so these were some thoughts on LGPS accounting and auditing. Hope you will find this podcast useful. If you need more on this topic and academies in general, we, the Mercia, will be running a Mercia Academies conference on 7th of September 2023. It will be a live online event and further details are on our website. That's it from me. I will be back soon with another exciting topic. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Mercia podcast. For more information on this topic, please visit mercia-group.com.